Zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies where we talk about Star Trek at length, very loudly, and let me tell you, it is about to get heated. I'm Kareen and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, Kim. Hello. And Ari. Hello. And we are here to discuss, and I have this written down because it's very confusing, the third episode aired, but actually the second pilot, and they were all kind of shot in and amongst the same time, but this was this was the new pilot, so... When they did the menagerie and NBC looked at it and went, thanks, but no thanks, they came back with this, which again NBC looked at and went, mm-hmm. not good enough to be the pilot episode, so they shuffled it around and this became episode three, third episode of Star Trek ever aired. Correct. <laughs> Thank you, full points to me. Um, so this is Where No Man Has Gone Before, the story of the most painful contacts of all time. I had a really hard yeah, time watching that. Of, of what? Contacts. The contact lenses. Oh, I thought that was really cool. I didn't realize it was contacts. I thought it was just weird lighting. According, I, I kept referring to them as mercury eyes. Oh, I see. I thought it was super cool. I, it was great. Especially the first shot where they have, like, you see the galaxy in his eye. That was yes. amazing. And then, well, I didn't, again, I didn't know they were contacts. I assumed they were doing, like, um, Kate Blanchett fairy eyes. <laughs> Not that's not quite where they were at technology wise. It was actually wrinkled tinfoil between two contact lenses. Yeah. And the actor Gary Lockwood, who was playing Gary Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, found them so painful he couldn't really see through them, is that he had to look down his nose in order to have some vision and that kind of gave his performance. You know how he's always kind of oddly tilting his head? Yeah. That's what inspired that bit of his performance, see, which that, I thought was amazing. Well, it was amazing, but I can I well, okay, A, yes, having tin foil in your <laughs> eyes would be painful. So Full props to you, sir, for continuing to act. Um, mm. But I thought the head tilt and the thing was to get the lighting right so you couldn't see. Like, again, I thought it was done with lights. <laughs> he just really had eyes that looked like tinfoil and galaxies. So let's start at the very beginning. So we get the captain's log, um, as most classic Star Trek episodes begin. And in fact, most Star Trek episodes begin, which is always a very helpful narrative device. We are the ship. Reed this is sloppy. where we are. Read sloppy. Shh. And um, they're heading for the Galactic Barrier. Um, what does that even mean? Okay, it, I am it's... so confused as to the geography of this episode. Yeah, like, that was uh, that was completely unclear to me as well. Like, the Galactic... Is this like they're leaving the Milky Way? And why is there a barrier? And yet, why is there like a manned science station? It was a mine. It was a mine. Yeah. Wow. That, sorry, yeah. a lithium mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, a, a cracking station, I believe is what they call it. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so, for whatever reason, they are heading... For the galactic barrier. No, okay, but where, what is the whatever. galactic barrier? Well, I always assumed it was sort of like the edge of our galaxy. But there's... there. Okay, but here's my problem. So we see this green 
line that apparently you could just pop over or under, but well, everyone the thing is chooses that, not to. As far as they know, until a couple of minutes into the episode, when we actually get explained what is happening, um, yeah. that, that as far as they know, no one has ever left the Milky Way before. But, but they the, have, because no, there's a no, line there. The mine is inside the galaxy. It's further back. No, it back. isn't. Yes, no, it is. It's once they go past no, the No, they go out, they come back in. No. That's the whole thing. Yes, no. yes, yes. Yes, because that's the whole story with they encounter, the thing they're talking they about. They encounter, they so say, they're in the lounge, they we're, hear, we're heading for the galactic barrier, yeah. and then they get this signal. And they bounce off of it? No, they get a signal. Yeah, no, no, no. They, they bounce off beacon. the galactic barrier. They so. haven't done that yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. But they get a beacon, and it turns out that it's a flight recorder from a ship that... Two centuries ago that two was lost and ago. destroyed. Yeah, and this the is Valiant. like the black box that looks like one of yeah. Channing Tatum's tables and from Magic Mike. <laughs> and it has, for whatever reason, they're like, well, does, does this mean that someone actually did leave the galaxy and come back? Because it's inside the galaxy with them at the moment because they haven't tried to leave yet. The ship is not there. I would No, I the would ship's gone. Flight recorder is gone. No. Yeah. Well, generally, you don't release your black box if your ship is still hit and hardy, but... Um, so they beam the flight recorder on board and they start, you know, analyzing it and, you know. Wait, wait, wait. You skipped possibly the most important part. The kitchen is, table? Is the kitchen table bit where they're playing chess and some woman in the back is wearing a tennis outfit with the brightest pink shirt you have ever seen. It is a tennis outfit. I remember the tennis outfit, yes. That's... You didn't mention that? That's the most important part of this episode as far as I don't concerned. even notice that. I've gotten this episode so washed out and colorless that I wasn't really noticing anything. It was... The entire thing was mustard. Crane just flipped the table. <laughs> Are you joking? The episode was basically mustard colored. Okay, here's a factoid that you're going to enjoy. <laughs> Ernest Taylor, who won an Oscar for Best Color Cinematography on Gone with the Wind, was the director of photography on this episode. Okay, props to, like, yay for Gone with the Wind. It was very pretty. This episode was mustard-colored. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I thought it was one of the worst-looking episodes that we've what? watched What? So but, far. okay, Kim, shut your face! <laughs> Are you saying worse than Charlie X? In terms of the visual styling and the overall look of the episode, I didn't like this episode at all. I like the difference between, like, I thought the uniforms were terrible. That is true. And I, I, thought, I, think, I think most of your mustard comes from the, episode, from, the, um, from the outfits. They're not your classic Trek outfits. They're these weird golden mustard. Yeah, well, the weird thing I found about those is that a lot of people are wearing gold who don't seem like they should be wearing gold, but, you know, hand-waving. But it's not that, 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 it's not that, it's that they're wearing, like, three different golds that are apparently meant to be the same gold. Um, well, because, I mean, there was, there was, they were either on the ship, and everything was, like, steel or mustard color. No, there's or they beautiful were... reds in there. Beautiful reds in the ship's interior. I did not see those. Okay. Are we watching the right episode? No! This is important for us to get down. This is beautifully shot. Some of the shots are incredible, and the close-ups of their faces, and everyone looks really young. And are you kidding me? Looking. In here, I wrote, "Why are there so many weird shots?" It was bizarrely filmed. You have no artistry in your soul. <laughs> Give me a good one-two conversation. <laughs> I don't know where to go with this. I yeah, I we might as well just walk away. <laughs> I don't know if I can continue this episode. I liked the story. Can we talk about the story? Please? Fine. Okay. So they beam this flight recorder on board. Channing Tatum's kitchen table. Yes, that is that is a very accurate description. Thank you. Um, 
And before that, we get, uh, while this is happening, actually, because they've found this light recorder, and we go to Kirk and Spock in the lounge playing chess again, because this is apparently a thing that they do. <laughs> Which is an amazing way of yeah. introducing your character. So it's mm-hmm. tough, because at the same time, you have to think about, okay, this is the third episode that everyone ever, ever saw, but... It's also the pilot episode. Yeah. It plays so much like a pilot, and that's yeah. the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's felt way more like a pilot than anything else we've seen so well, far. And it was I think, had be. I been actually watching this on TV and seen the first two episodes and then come to watch this one, mm-hmm. I would have been sitting there going, what the fuck is going on? This is bullshit. And it, it felt like a pilot to me. Probably because it was actually written to be one. Yeah. That does make a difference. Um, it's interesting because it's missing, you know, half of the characters that we see in the rest yeah, of the show. It's and that's, very odd. Yeah. We have Dr. I think Piper instead of Bones. Not Bones. Dr. Not, not Bones. Bones. Yeoman Rand isn't there. Ahura isn't there. Yeah. Ahura isn't Ahura Which, of course, isn't. is why no but, matter how good and otherwise a pilot it is, it cannot be a pilot because it doesn't have... But we did get Scotty. Yes, Scotty Who shows up as a transport technician. Doesn't yeah. check off either. Hmm? Doesn't have Chekhov. Chekhov come in much Chekhov later. Chekhov comes in yeah. much later. I think he shows up after Rand. He's, he's a while in, but we did get Sulu, but he mm-hmm. was in blue. And didn't say much. No. Mostly just kind of like crossed his arms and looked pensive. He did have at least one line. Though, he did. Science. Like, oh, it's George Decay. You look good. Yeah. yeah. Looked good. So young. So young. Everyone looked Everyone. Really oh, God. Young. Oh, yeah. Kirk looked insanely Would young. Have made out with Which him. was <laughs> so hard. <laughs> Uh, no, we no. we will get I, to I'm that with, point. There's yeah. a spe- there's a special. Well, part I particularly of this like in the scene, which is basically Spock and Kirk playing chess, and and Kirk's all like antsy and getting all nerdy about. I want to see the 200 year old flight recorder. Spock, isn't it cool? Isn't it exciting? And Spock mm-hmm. is sort of being like, "You humans are so cute with your feelings." It's true. What I find interesting about that is we get kind of like a comedic beat. Spock says, "You're not logical in the way that you play chess. Oh, it's never going to win." And then like Kirk. Beats him. Yep. Constantly. Because Kirk is the best. Kim. Eh. We also get a little He's bit the um, smartest and most handsomest captain. Anyways, <laughs> yep. We also get a little bit of uh, this is what a Vulcan is in just like one line, one or two lines where um, I can't remember exactly what the emotion is that Kirk quotes and Spock sort of puts on this little Irritated. puzzled face and goes, oh yes, one of your human emotions. And I'm convinced that he is as much messing with him as actually being puzzled by Kirk's emotional really state. really good chemistry. Yeah. They do, yeah. Really yeah. good. Like, yeah. you get the characters, you can absolutely believe that they have a history together, yeah. that they have, but there's an underlying conflict where, you know, he's logic, he is yeah. cold, he's unfeeling. Uh, I like this episode because I, I got more feeling of, a, of a, like, a past or existing relationship between Kirk and Spock in this episode yeah. than I did in the other two. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'll give that to you. Um, at that point, my note to myself is velour sweaters for all. Also, Spock's eyebrows are intense in this a episode. A lot of makeup. Yeah, yeah. he's very, he's a lot greener than he is later. Yeah, and the, the the one thing I did write down about the uniforms while I was lamenting them in my notes was that the, the necks have zippers. Visible There's a zippers. lot of visible zippers in this yeah. episode. Yeah, a moment for those zippers. But they um they're sitting in the lounge and they get uh, messages on and off from the bridge and they get told that. It's smaller than a lifeboat, which I can only assume they mean like an escape a pod. Lifeboat. That's what they say. That's a I can weird unit of. Well, I can only assume that they're saying it like it's smaller than an escape pod. No, I'm assuming it's a space rowboat. Sure. We get space Abraham Lincoln. It's not out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> but they bring it on board, and uh, everybody goes to the transporter room because the 
the transporter. That's where the action is. That's where the action is. It's actually Kelso talking to them, I think, from the bridge. And he's like, so what do you think, Captain? Should we be on board? Should we take the risk? And Kirk's like, yeah, this is awesome. And they, yeah. And they all go to the transporter room to see the thing beamed on board. And he tells them, okay, link it to Spock's computer. And he starts remote uploading stuff. Feed the tapes into Mr. Spock's computer. Yes, but what actually happens... the tapes. Yes, 60s terminology, but what's actually happening is a remote upload, which is, for the 60s, wildly advanced. So I'm going to give them a prop for that one. Mm, Half points. And then, for no apparent reason, the ship goes into red alert. Space! The final frontier! These are the voyages. I like the red alert. I did notice it's the same same red alert klaxon that they use on uh, Next Generation. Oh, really? Yeah. It's absolutely, I was like... Exact same sound. It came on and it was like, oh, Captain Picard has gone to red alert. It was like, no, it's exactly the same sound, which I love. It's a good cold open. I don't know why we went into red alert there. It was a little odd. It was beeping. Uh, I thought that was was the uplink. Beeps mean trouble. At anyway. this point, Kim, I would like to point out that I have a specific note saying ship design so much red. This is. I would like to point out that I have a specific note saying weird shots, so much overhead. Well, mine after the 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 theme just says how that space backdrop question mark question mark because it was really really pretty to a point where I am wondering if this was a digital we remaster. Watched the digital remaster. We did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember what the original looked like, but us. I know it didn't look like that. It was lights on a black sheet. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was like a weird, there was like a green line, if I recall correctly. It did not look that cool. No. Anyways, so we get back to the ship. Uh, Kirk and Spock are about to go up into an elevator when we meet mm-mm-mm, Gary Mitchell. Dun, dun, dun. No, wait. Except dun, at this point. Dun, dun. Yeah, at this point it is Looks not like Carl Urban. Looks dun, like dun, dun. Carl Urban. He does, a yeah, little bit, yeah. yeah. At the first part, I was like, oh, wow, wow. Really young Carl Urban, oh. like non-growly Carl Urban, but yeah, I, I see it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really notice him all that much. He was just kind of there. He and Kim Jong. We also, at this point, see Lady in, Lady in Pants. Thank you! One. I have a specific oh, note right there! Me too! He's in pants! I have a specific note that said, who's the close-standing blonde? Because she was basically, like, up against Gary Mitchell, pressing against him, being like, what's happening? No, she doesn't say a word. No, no. she's silent. She's, she's standing there, like, and listening and waiting. when they're about to go into the galactic divide, whatever the hell, hell that is, she holds his hand. That She's was like, a lot. yeah, like, and he's like, okay, he was working the controls. Yeah, one hand I haven't about that the ship. Too. Okay, yeah. so just for a second, we're on the bridge, and this is also a uh, first person of color. No, I think he might be the only black person in the episode, but he's there like four or five times on screen. He's like a tech on the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have lady number one in pants and that, and. This is the point at which they're told they say let's neutralize warp, which yes, neutralize I just sort of wrote down as and all stop. And Kurt goes on the intercraft. Which is intercom. Which is definitely a lamp. Yep. It is for definitely, sure a lamp. He is talking into a lamp. Yep. And his voice goes all echoey and he tells people, Okay, we're about to uh, cross the galactic barrier. Brace which... yourself, hope that your will is updated. Yeah. Again, question. If you were captain, would you not stop, listen to the black box, because they might have some valuable information about passing into this dangerous part of space, and then proceed? Yeah. Like, as this is happening, yeah. Spock is still standing at his station going, wait, I'm still listening to the tapes, and we're Wait, going. okay, just listen. 
yeah. listening to the tapes. Yeah. Um, I mean, did Kirk have any real reason to leave the galaxy at this point? Or is he just like, adventure, let's go, bitches? I, I think that in terms of this being the pilot, that their mandate was to go out and seek new worlds. And yeah. part of that was that they were the ship that was going to go past the galactic barrier and it, go into unexplored space. Despite the yeah. fact that there is a mine there, and again, Kim and I are going to agree on this, they went over the Galactic Barrier. And then they came never, back. Yeah. No, they no, did not. Yes, they, they did. did not come back. They, yes, they did. They're no. wrong. Um, well, because then we never got to see them coming back. And, like, was it the same hard, like, they don't go make through, it all the way through. people? What? They, they don't make it all the way through. They, they do, going. because at one point, no. Kirk's like, well, when we used to be just days from warping to inhabited lands, now we're yeah. years. Okay, Because exactly. it was across the Galactic Barrier. No. Yes. Okay, well, okay. Well, for the record, I'm looking at the Memory Alpha article, and it says they attempt to cross the Galactic Barrier, and they fail, and they drift back into known space. I... But okay. if we don't agree that, the rest of the episode makes no sense, so can we just move on from it? No. No. No, we really, no, really this is, can't. When we, like, okay, if we got this impression from the show, like... I, I did know. not get this impression. I did at all. get this impression. In no way, shape, I really or form. Did. And the, the fact that you feel the same way as me, Kareem, makes me think that maybe there was confusion, or it's it's not well it's not well fleshed out. It just doesn't make any sense. Like they crossed the galactic barrier, which is no. why everybody got god powers. Well, not everyone, as it selects out. Well, okay, fine. It's why a select few got god powers because they crossed the galactic barrier. Okay, but before they do, came we came into meet. contact with the galactic barrier. Can we just say? The Collective Barrett came into contact with them. Yes, Anyhow, fine. Not, anyway. it doesn't matter because we meet Dr. Elizabeth, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong every single time, Daner. Yes. I could not tell for, like, half the episode. I've, like, written it down and crossed it out, like, four times. Was it a D or a J? It's a D. Danner D -E or Janner? D-E-H-N-E-R. Remember when they're looking at the... <laughs> it's it's so there. hard to say. The slideshow. Yeah. <laughs> Of their personnel files, which we paused. We did, so that we could examine them, them in detail. Um, it's definitely Daner, D-E-H-N-E-R. Okay. Because I, like, I was, like, I could not figure out what her name was. She was just, like, a lady doctor to me for most of the episode because I could not understand what they There's were saying. a lot saying. of mumbling involved. Yeah. Uh, but she comes out with an amazing line because Gary Mitchell, it turns out, is a unprofessional dickhead. Oh yeah. my god, he hit on her so inappropriately while he was groping the other uh, crewman, might I While add. his other hand was steering the ship. Now you have a note Hands in two ways. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Was... Elizabeth Daner is also wearing pants, by the way. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. so, I didn't realize how affecting that was mm -hmm. until I saw ladies in pants. And yeah. I was like, oh. She's like statuesque and powerful and authoritative. Yeah. I very yeah, tall. It was great. It, it there is nothing physically meek about her, which I always really enjoy. No, she absolutely is nothing. She was. Cold. I mean, she was awesome. Like, and the way she shot Mitchell down, I was just like, yeah. Well, he says something awful about she's a psychiatrist. He's like, oh, are you working to? She works with ESP. Esper. It's her. It's her area specialty. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, because she has a high Esper rating, as we found out from the. Live but she's show. yeah. But she's officially on the ship to study how people react in emergencies, and they're on a long-term mission. <laughs> I'm so. going to guess the answer is badly. <laughs> Which better ship to be pretty on? badly? But he says something about oh, you're just here to improve the breed. Um, something about improving the line. He makes a eugenics joke, basically. Yeah, and she says, "I thought that was your specialty, lines included." But um. 
bum, ching. That was pretty epic. And she doesn't, like, there's no tittering or, no. oh, you, yeah. or. The, the way it came across was he said something gross and she shut him down because he was wrong. She's completely unmoved by his lies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he calls her a refrigeration unit. A walking refrigeration walking unit. refrigeration unit. Which, I'd take. Yeah. That means that I can shut my door and stuff. I can mm-hmm. you to death. <laughs> so we go through and or hit up against and or touch and or pass through. Undecided. Through the galactic barrier. And, uh, no, wait. As they're going through? some of the, Okay, so this kind of overlaps. I've written it down a little bit. Again, would you not just pound the brakes on and go, wait, wait. How come everyone on this ship is dead? Well, while they're approaching the barrier, um, they're listening to the tapes, and we get it sort of back and forth. We're approaching the barrier. Let me give you a tidbit from history. Approaching the barrier. And Spock says, um, Spock and or Kirk, and they're sort of talking about it. The Valiant only had impulse. Uh, They went out, came back in. Um... And then there's all these... Because he's only, they only have bits and pieces of the, of the law. Yeah. I have Valiant. a note that says Spock is basically just narrating. Yeah. Yeah. What he's listening to on cassette tape. The yeah. bits and pieces that are left from the I was like, this is yeah. super compelling. Like, okay, TV so guys. they went out, they came back in. <laughs> they started talking about ESP and human beings. They started looking which it is up how, in the ship's computer. Yeah, which, is, which is how we start talking about ESP in the first place. No, the best part about that is seven dead. No, wait, six. What? One recovered. <laughs> One came back from the dead? Yeah. No. That makes more sense later, though. I would argue it does not. Well, it does because we see it happen. It's totally nonsense. But anyways, the important thing is, is that the self, the, the ship. Yes, the ship orders self-destruct. And Spock's yeah, like, the I valiant. must have heard that wrong because it's crazy. Um, is it? Turns out, probably a good call on the part Again, of Valiant should Captain. we have went, wait a minute? Hmm. Maybe we should send a probe. Yeah, and we have a little brief side conversation about ESP and human beings in this time. Um, and this is this was kind of weird, and I, I assume it was a, we must introduce this factoid, where Kirk's like, so you're a psychiatrist, um, what do you know about ESP? And Diener's response is, I tested relatively high. And Kirk's like, I didn't ask you about your test, I was asking <laughs> what you knew, like, science, because you're a scientist, right? I have ESP, I knew what you were going to ask. <laughs> Um, and she says it is a fact because they're talking about ESP generally being in human beings really limited when it's there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we get the bit Spock's like, so I'm hearing the captain of the Valiant order the ship to self-destruct. That can't possibly be right. We get this ominous little beat of music. Ship ain't there anymore. Yeah. So... Ship, no, no ship. Black box is out. That's usually a bad sign. And for some reason... I do not understand. They decide to continue on out of the galaxy. Yeah, this is a great call. Yeah, this was bizarre. So it seemed like a strange decision, but we did get the opportunity for me to write down and bring capital letters. Purple rain. Yeah, the, apparently the galactic, the edge of the galaxy is bright pink and or purple. It's definitely purple and glows. Yep. I mean, I would expect it to glow. To be fair, um, this is also when we have Mitchell holding hands with. Her, she, she is at and work. And yeah. Smith, I believe. Her she name. says no, no line. No, no, she well, does. No, she has two or three call lines. Her Smith, and she's like, actually, it's Jones. Yes. No, other way around. But oh, yeah, it's Jones. Actually, it's Smith. Yeah, whatever. Still, Kirk can. says, yeah. "Excuse me, Ensign Jones." And she's actually, it's Smith. And she walks. You would know the because apparently we get to hold hands on the bridge. Oh, no I idea. don't know. I feel like that must be one of the only times people hold hands. Like, on the what bridge. was yeah. the point of that though? Was that to show Gary Mitchell as like a caring, concerned? 
person or is it just like I never ladies on the bridge that. be weak or well except I feel none like of the other that. ones are no but there's only one well there's, there's, there's only her, Smith or Jones her name's Smith and there's Dana Smith or Jones that's my amazing Doctor Who reference mm. very impressive um, but anyhow I I absolutely agree with you Kim I'm totally baffled it's she confusing has, she serves no purpose absolutely no purpose she she wasn't involved in like Gary's transformation at all no she, she had nothing to do I feel like maybe she might have been the Yeoman Rand position if Yeoman Rand was allowed to wear pants but Yeoman he Rand even by... in a short short skirt is hell of a lot more interesting and did shit I also like, don't yeah. think he calls her Yeoman I think he might call her something else I, mean, I don't remember exactly, but, but yeah, um, I was just I was completely baffled as to her entire purpose, other than to stand there and clutch at Gary Mitchell. On the other hand, it meant that we had another lady with a speaking part in this episode, which isn't terrible. Did she? Have yeah, she had two or three lines, not a lot, but she had two or three lines. Like she corrected someone on her name. She said something about Esper's. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my deep question is, why build anything in space that could catch on fire like that? Yeah. Well, we do it now. A lot of stuff caught on fire. It's the space. Yeah, so Why they try not? and... Basic, Kareem's mentioning this because they try and cross, cross the barrier and then everything goes crazy. And they may or may not turn around and go back or they may just drift through. They got through. They, totally they got do through. not. They yeah. hit all stop. Jesus, they are on the they other stop. side of the galactic barrier. They see it in their rear room mirror. Well, they can't be because then they anyway, can turn around and go back. 11 people dead. I have a note here that says... about oh, yeah. It says, easier to fly with both hands, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Because Gary Mitchell is steering the ship with one hand and holding Ensign Yeoman Smith's hand with the other, which is weird. Um, It is true. And then... And while uh, this is happening, while the lights are all flashing and everything's exploding, catching on fire, Daner and Mitchell, who are both on the bridge, pass out. No, there's... Yeah. Sweet special effect. Very good special effect. Those heads are glowing. Yeah, they kind of get electrocuted and then there's some LSD things that happen and then they collapse to the ground. And then we... I did appreciate that it was the both of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we get... um, sort of, you know, a couple seconds pass and the emergency lights or whatever come on and then we start getting reports from the rest of the ship. We're at a minute 11 at this point. Yes. Nine dead. Yes. That's almost one a minute. I'm very impressed. <laughs> um, and right before the commercial break, we zoom in on Mitchell. Mercury eyes! And we get dramatic music and his eyes are silvery blue. They were like galaxies. I loved it. It was very, very so impressive. much. It was, it was as, an, very as a practical cool. effect. It looked Very, amazing. very amazing. Very cool. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um... Okay, I have a question at this point okay. that I want to bring up. Anyone notice the similarities to the pilot of Voyager? Oh. Yeah, see what I did there? You did. Yeah. Well, I felt very clever. They get thrown out of the known space. Yeah, into unknown space. space. They're on impulse engines. They're forced to cobble things together. I mean, there's also a lot of differences. Also, Gilgan's <laughs> Island. Yes, but I would just like to prove my very, very impressive point. I'm very proud that there are definite similarities between Mm -hmm. the two pilots. Anyways, when we come back from commercial, there are slides. There are slides. Um, So many slides. Their warp engines are burnt out. They're now years from home. Mm -hmm. Not see, Voyager, 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 Voyager. Yes, that that is true. But because. They were thrown out of the galaxy and are years from home. They're years from home because their warp engines are burnt out and they only have impulse. Mm. We are going to agree to strongly That's disagree. That's specifically and what they keep say. Disagreeing. So we so, pause to examine slides. We pause slides. to examine slides. slides. There is a slideshow. Now, Ari and I, when we were watching this, we stopped and read the slides. Yes, because they were fascinating. Those nerds. Now, okay, whoever was making these slides was terrible at the time. Oh, God, really? yes. Because they're cut off. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you, you only have... get like the upper left corner of the slide. You get two thirds of an entire seeing, slide. Like, you got to, you, I, the thing. The info I remember picking up from them was their names yeah. and their did they have their ESP rating on them or and something? their birthplace. Did so. Elizabeth was born in Delman City, and this is what is probably going to drive me insane for the rest. This of has my been life. driving me crazy for years. For both Gary and Elizabeth, they're born in the state of, and it's N E U S T. Well, his and only says new off. because it's cut off in a different place than hers. And then it is cut off. They oh. cut off half the slide. It also doesn't Where say country. That? that is true. So it might may or may not be the United States. I think it's a fair bet that it's probably somewhere in the United States, but we also get later on in this universe that the United States is only kind of the United States anymore, territorially. Vaguely so it's, holding hands. So it's hard to tell whether this is, I'm, it's not an existing state, obviously, but it's driving me insane. It's it's pretty frustrating. I like where is this insane. place? Like, but anyway, apparently Starfleet is tracking people's bloodlines. Well, yes, because the first page is like uh, biographical data, like where they were born, what year, etc. And the second page, because they both got two page pages of each slide. The second page is what I assume is like part of a Starfleet or a medical record, and it gives information on their ESP rating. And the impression we get from the earlier conversation is that everyone in Starfleet gets tested for this. And in fact, everyone gets tested for this. It's a normal thing to test people for in childhood and, and teenagerhood and youth. And it's odd. But! <laughs> but! Sorry, sorry. Oh, shit, that was building that. up in me. <laughs> but, but it makes no difference because no human being has ever had psychic powers. No. Humans are not a telepathic Humans or psychic. A, so we're testing for something. Well, actually. And co- they, they go through bloodlines of people. So this is a really weird episode in that sense because it is the only time we ever get any acknowledgement that Starfleet or any human government of any kind acknowledges even telepathic potential in pure human beings. And what we get from the earlier conversation is human beings have like some varying levels of sensitivity to like what they call esper capabilities. Yes, apparently Gary Mitchell was very good at magic tricks. And guessing games. And guessing games. And so was she. Another guy on the show who's good at magic tricks? Kill me now. (laughs) Um, But what Daner says is that human beings have a very limited, if any, capability for actually exhibiting like powers. So like it's basically for telling the future. And for telling the future. That's actually the only explicit thing we get is that some people have been able to predict events, but it's always been very vague. Which makes me wonder why they apparently are wasting test tons for of government resources on a test that will come to nothing. But apparently they test everyone. It's something you get tested for Maybe in public education. I'm just going to assume they stopped after this really terrible mission. I'm going to audit Starfleet at some point, and I would like those people to come up before a board of their peers and explain what they're doing with well, their money. Well, it's the only time we ever talk about human telepaths, which is Which is bizarre. Very in a season of which we have seen three episodes and two have involved human psychics. Yeah. Well... There's but so much... all that's all but the psychics is, the psychic stuff is all coming from external manipulation. It's never coming it from It is, but it's all well, no, but it's because the, the argument time. the argument is that Gary Mitchell or is it Gary Mitchell, which is a question I have later, is that this is the next step in human evolution is to develop ESP abilities. Yeah, and that the whole underlying thing where they test people in childhood and in youth and in Starfleet Academy is that human beings have the underlying potential for it but have never actually manifested the ability. 
Hmm. Which is fascinating because, again, they never talk about human telepaths again in the entire Star Trek canon. That's because I came in and audited Starfleet. I got those people fired. <laughs> well, well, that's interesting, though, because speaking of Voyager, we do get an episode that's about the, evo- the next evolution of humans. <laughs> <laughs> and the next evolution of humans is slugs. Or at least a next evolution of humans. Yeah, I'm, so I'm I mean, not that's a very interesting, that's, like that's kind of an interesting thought when you think about what they did with human, the future of human evolution in Voyager. It was like to get rid of all of our internal organs, a bunch of fingers, and then we just turn into slugs. So here, slugs here are our choices, people. You can either become a space slug or a god. And get crushed by a rock. I think I'm actually going to choose crushed by a rock. Oh, definitely okay. crushed okay. by a rock. I don't want to skip ahead, but I really, he's not dead. Oh, I'm sure he he's not dead. He was in the grave. The rock just plumped on There's some interesting stuff I'm going to mention when we actually get to it about the, the later on possibly apocryphal explanation for the exactly what happens. travels for either of their abilities. Space. We'll get there. Okay. But um, I love talking about telepathy in the Star Trek universe. I don't. It makes me very frustrated. Well, we get, like, Those people need to be fired. We get part human uh, people who do have telepathic or empathic abilities. Deanna Troy, for instance. Mm-hmm. We get explicit acknowledgments that human beings do definitely have the ability to receive telepathic and empathic communications because Loxana, for instance, and, and Deanna talk directly into people's minds. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, the Are first... they able to and talk lo- to everyone? Only uh, certain people. I don't know if it's everyone, but I know, like, in the first episode of Next Gen... Troy gets in, a, in an elevator or a turbo lift with Riker, and she's like, can you still hear my thoughts? Yeah. And Loxana, that's one of the ways that she sexually harasses men, is she talks about how sensitive or not sensitive a human male is and how desirable that makes them. Um, yeah, but it's implied that human beings, at least, are varying degrees of sensitive to telepathic communication, even though they themselves are not capable of like, deliberately communicating to that telepathically. Well, the nine people who died on that ship apparently were not psychic enough yeah, because, because their brains were burned out. Yeah, and what we get is that some people passed, most people, nine people died, and Daner and Mitchell passed out but didn't die. And the implication there is that only certain people were affected by passing through or coming into contact with the barrier, which is obviously should be taken as immediately suspicious, which they do, but not enough, in my opinion. No, so they look them up on the computer, like, oh, yeah, those people have ISP rating and whatever. Whatever uh, not, not important. Let's go visit Gary Mitchell on his shirtless hospital bed. Was he shirtless? Not really. He was wearing oh, some kind of He's wearing, of like, weird... a tank top kind of Oh, okay. I was like, how did I thing? not notice he was shirtless? That's true. It's a very weird open-necked business yeah. thing. And then... He is reading, he's reading through all the ship's library. He's, we get this impression because we've seen other sci-fi before. He's getting super smart. So mm. smart. But then he starts talking about him and Jim's experience at the Academy, which comes to the great line that he was like a stack of books with legs. You can Aww. see why I like Kirk so this much. This is my this favorite is, ever characterization I, of Kirk. I had never, I don't ever remember hearing this bit before, but this really? was like my favorite line. Yeah. I love to think of it like Kirk was once in a book, or still stack is. Stack of like books with legs. Total mm. bookworm. Yeah. That he was like one of the best, what, like, and he was an instructor at the he Academy. He was an instructor. Yeah. Well, well we, get, he, we get later that once you hit lieutenant, if you're, you get, you take, you spend time stationed on Earth teaching. So, yeah. Which is really interesting to me because he's also, the big thing with Kirk is that he's the youngest captain in Starfleet history mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. So that's like really interesting that he did teaching as well. And, well, yeah. yeah. And, and he, apparently did enough teaching that he had a reputation at the Academy that you either think or sink in his class. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's something that I think doesn't get emphasis, emphasis enough with Kirk. 
is that he's smart as hell. Yeah, he's crazy smart, and he's not a, the youngest captain in history or whatever of Starfleet because he's like a swashbuckler or brave or whatever. It's because he's a keener. Yeah, <laughs> he's a great big keener. Uh, and he I did really the love the um, the implication that Mitchell threw a lady at him to in order to get him. better grades. Yeah, <laughs> that he solicited, and then Kirk says, "I almost married the girl." Oh, I feel really bad for Kirk. Yeah. One of the oh, I would murder pro- you. Promise me here, ladies. <laughs> In order to elicit some sort of favor out of me, you would never procure a gentleman to pose as someone. Who, I'd I outline know, like, his I entire seduction plan. <laughs> yeah. Now my question is: Is like, was like, did he like be like, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you hang out with this guy for this semester? Or was yeah. it like, let me introduce you to a guy you, I think you'd really get along with? I don't know which way it went, and I prefer the second. I prefer the second as well, because part of that conversation is meant to remind us that Gary and Kirk are friends. They're really good friends. They happen for a really long time. Are they good friends? Yeah. Friends don't... I don't even know how to phrase that. Well, that's that. why I choose to... Throw a lady in your direction to distract That's why I, I choose to go with Kim's preference as the second interpretation of that. I don't know, because as we see later in the episode, Gary Mitchell is a giant bag of dicks. I mean, he is a giant bag he of dicks. He is a giant bag of dicks. Yeah. But Kirk seems to like a lot of people like that. Kirk likes He has terrible dicks. taste. <laughs> yeah, or that. But, yes, but he also has terrible taste in friends, mm-hmm. by and large. Or has in the past had really terrible taste in friends. We see this a few other times in later episodes. Um, and at one point during this conversation, while they're talking about, you know, the past and warm feelings of friendship, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, they talk about this incredibly... What he called this this long hair stuff you like, Kirk, because yes. he's got all this time in his hands and he's going through the library and he's reading all these advanced, you know, academic sort of works of poetry. And at some point in this conversation, I can't remember exactly what leads to it, Gary basically tries, or by accident, to whammy Kirk. Hmm. Did he whammy him? I thought he was just trying to talk into his head. Well, it could I'm not sure. I still can't decide because he says He's not able he says to you whammy should be, he said you should be nice to me. Yeah, but I think he says he was just being a jerk. He said it telepathically. I don't think he's actually able to put the whammy on people. Like he doesn't. He's not able to control people until the very end. Physically, he can, but not not until the very end. And again, his powers are growing. We see that as this is happening. But it really, really freaks Kirk out. He actually stumbles a little bit because he's he's turning to go, and Gary and Gary was saying like sort of jokingly, "You should be nice to me." I almost got electrocuted today, and then they have another little bit of conversation and. And Kirk turns to go, and Gary says again, you should be nice to me. And Kirk, and it echoes all scary, and Kirk stumbles and looks intensely freaked out by because this. Because at that point, he should have turned around and shot him in the head. Well, well I would have. Was the echoing supposed to be him communicating his telepathically? Brain. I, think so, I yeah. thought it was yeah. just him getting God voice. <laughs> both. Could be <laughs> read both bit ways. Of both. A little bit of both. At that point, we go back to the bridge, and one of, I think, a really well oh, done, God, this was so creepy. spooky shot. Yeah. As they are, as Spock and Kirk are watching Gary Mitchell, he's going through the computer, they're talking about him, they're like, he's growing, he's reading books much faster than he was, this is very suspicious, and then all of a sudden, Gary Mitchell looks up with his creepy mercury eyes and directly, directly yeah. at oh, that was, so That scary. was really creepy, I love that. This is a genuinely quite scary episode. This episode gave me actual screaming nightmares as a child. I had a nightmare last night. I don't know what Gary Mitchell was doing, but he freaked me out. Something creepy. He really, really scared me. So then we get another scene in sickbay between Gary and uh, Elizabeth Daner, um, where 
he's still trying to flirt with her despite now being creepy god voice. I think he's trying to flirt with everyone. Yeah. I, I a don't. Lot. Okay, question. And spoiler for the rest of the episode. OBGW is a spoiler for the entire of Star Trek. Does he know that she has powers? Oh, I'm as sure well? he does. I'm absolutely I don't certain. know. Because I don't think that they were chums. No. no. I, I don't think he necessarily. I don't think he did because he was hitting on her and being gross with her before the whole incident. He was. And this yeah. was just a continuation of that. I think the character of the creepy flirting changes a little bit afterwards, though, because they do have that conversation, and he's part of at least one of the conversations where they're like, it affected these people, yeah. and nine of them died, and you two woke up. So he must—he's not stupid. He must know. <laughs> no, because he's read the entirety of the ship's library yeah. on so floppy disks that look like sandwiches. I don't think he knows everything yet, but I think he does have at least an inkling that she is somewhat like him, and he's trying to like. I think he's goading her this whole time. I think time. he is. Yeah. I think he knows that she's going to develop powers. Yeah. and that's why he's kind of cultivating a friendship with her yeah. because he. Quote, the, 19, the Pope from 1996, <laughs> yeah. I wrote down superhuman sexual harassment. Yeah. <laughs> he quotes her the Nightingale Woman song, the most passionate love poem of all. In the last 200 years. <laughs> Which I think he might have said was an alien love poem, so, wow. Who knows? Um, also during this conversation, he does something extremely creepy, and he's because um, she's looking at his readings on the bio bed. Oh yeah, and she like, kind of dies. You're, you're perfect, and she and he says, "Oh, isn't it funny? I could just look at them and make them do whatever I want." And then he dies for twenty two seconds. For twenty two seconds, and yeah. she freaks out and she starts looking at the dials. Although she, I do have another she question. She throws herself yeah. over. Here's his an important chest. question, though. As an aside, yes. Why doesn't anybody else from sick bay come running in? Because this guy flatlined. Question: Where is anyone from sick bay? Where is a doctor? Where Any is doctor? doctor? That doctor, was, doctor. Did we even see him in sick bay in this episode? Very, very, very no, I don't think we do. For a couple of no, seconds, but I don't not think very we much. do. But it doesn't matter, because I think he's a carryover from the original. original yeah. And he is a drunk, so he's probably, like, passed out. He's somewhere, he's hiding somewhere with his, like, suitcase of gin. Yeah. But this <laughs> is what I meant disease. earlier when they talk in the, in the Valiant log about this many die, but then one of them recovered. I think this is exactly what happened, because Gary dies, and That's then he weird, wakes up. Weird thing to repeat. Oh. Yeah. I'm gonna pretend I'm dead and then actually die, but then come back. Who would that? Well, I mean, to? later on when they're yeah. like, "He's going to kill us all. We need to take him out." That would have been a great way to. They should have shot. Sorry. Yeah. They anyway, have taken so him he's out flirting on her. Him. He dies. He wakes back up. She actually says the line, "You're perfect." Mm. Um, she means medically, I'm sure, but that's still really unsettling in a number of ways. Hard to say. Uh, hitting on her, this is what I have written down, hitting on her in increasingly creepy ways. Yeah, this is where my superhuman sexual harassment came mm-hmm. in. And then, um, I think the guys, they get they get interrupted because she's like sort of bent over him after he's died and resuscitated himself. And uh, the door opens and I think this is Kelso? I've got Kelslo, Kelslo. If it's the same person, it's Kelslo. I'm pretty sure He comes walking and he's just coming to visit his bro and he finds him in this position. He's like, um, didn't mean to interrupt. They talk about repairs. Mitchell gets all creepy and snaps at him and he's like, go check this thing. And then of course this thing is a thing he could not possibly know and brings it to the table of, which I really like about Star Trek is that they have these, I don't know, like staff meetings, staff Mm -hmm. consultations where they all sit around, like the head of every department. It's almost like a senior staff meeting. Yeah, the senior staff. Yeah. It's very true to life. I was was in one of those today. (laughs) Meetings. Yeah. But these ones seem fun. They're really short and snappy. Mm -hmm. So they talk about, oh, he couldn't possibly know this thing. How did he know this thing? And Spock is like, he knows this thing because he's turning into a 
crazy monster. Yeah. Spock is really on point in this episode. Spock as he is usually strangely, is. But again, it's the logical conclusion that, yeah. oh, like, the previous, the Valiant, people died, they had to blow up the ship for a reason. Spock's like, evidence, evidence, up. evidence, conclusion, am I the only one yeah, on this page? He yeah. is, but... Jim is like, he's my friend, I can't do this, we well, don't know what's going to yeah. happen, we know what's going to happen. And Spock, happen. what actually Spock actually says is, Gary isn't Gary. And we get a little bit, because um, Daner, again, says something really unsettling, She's, she refers to him as um, an, a superior man. It could be awesome, he could be a better kind of human. And I felt bad for her, because throughout this entire episode, she's incredibly professional. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And she has a lot of respect, and all. she kind of goes off on this strange... Superior man! He's a yeah. mutant! Well, and I, I think initially she's think just she, mostly really fascinated at, by him as a subject. Like, she's looking at him as a scientist. Yeah, but it's so... I don't know. She I was cognizant of the fact that she is a woman standing in front of... Standing with an entire table of men who are just staring at her and looking at her like she's hysterical. Yeah, except... I mean, but for all that, she straddles the line between definitely feeling an unnatural pull towards Gary Mitchell and being, you know, level-minded as a scientist quite aptly up until, you know, the last second where everybody goes completely bug-buck crazy. Um, but at this meeting, they're like, he's been, like, controlling sensors on the bridge. He's acting super creepy. He knows things he can't possibly know. So we should drop him off at Delta Vega like he's hot. Yeah. Which Jim agrees to because they have to pick up some lithium crystals. And Ari and I had a long-involved argument about whether it was lithium crystals and or then I lithium it up. crystals. And who was right? You were right. What is this? Did they say lithium? They say lithium, lithium crystals. Oh, we haven't reached dilithium. No, yet. we exactly. don't. The first mention of lithium crystals isn't until episode twenty. Really? Yep. Oh wow. Um, they apparently so don't important. mention. They I apparently know. don't mention the fuel source again directly for that many episodes. Huh. So yeah, I, I I just I I my brain did not hear lithium because I'm so used to hearing dilithium. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, mean, I absolutely get that. Like now, like watching this now and knowing that it was supposed to be the pilot episode, it's so interesting to see where they were in developing the world and mm. what they thought they were like the directions were going to be. And I don't know, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is because it's this proto a, a lot of the original Trek is either a moral dilemma, an ethical quandary. Or a logic puzzle, and this one very much is a it's a it's a moral question. Like mm-hmm. Jim is our main character. We're torn between having to kill his old friend who could be becoming something, or letting his friend live possibly the destruction of all. It's it's the classic captain thing. Like what mm-hmm. what do you balance the good of the few? What or is the an many? acceptable sacrifice? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I for that he reason, has this I conversation with just about everybody. We get Sulu who's explaining the math of how fast Gary is getting really powerful, fast. really fast. Um, and Spock says, after everybody else is like, Daner yells at him, he's being, he, you know, he's being insensitive, and he's like, this is my job. Because um, yeah. she's like, he's your friend. And she's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, but I'm the captain. This is my job. I have to have this conversation because she thinks Spock's being unfeeling, which I of course he is. I to have a heart, but I think he's, yeah, he's interesting. As a character, balanced. a pure logic and not a robot. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And eventually everybody else leaves, and it's just Spock and Kirk. And Spock basically says, we will never reach an Earth base with him aboard. Exactly. He knows He knows that this is a no-win situation. He's been his, this guy's friend for 15 years. Mm-hmm. We also get it implied that Spock has known him for years, too. Like, like cause at least the time they've been on the ship. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a couple of years at co-workers, least. Co-workers, but... Yeah. Crazy, like, but well, apparently in the original version of this episode, there's more talking about that. It's the three, it's for Spock, Kirk, and, and Mitchell, oh, really? not just Kirk and Mitchell, but a lot of that was taken out of the final cut, the final shoot of the episode. But there's at least one line that was, I guess, left that does. It's like 
you've known him for years. Right. Not as maybe not as long as Kirk in the final episode version, but that yeah, they, they've they've been friends at least as like coworkers. However, friends. Spock ever's ever friends work with people. Friends. Yeah, work friends. But essentially, the, the the plan is to maroon him yeah. on this mine, which may or may not be past the edge of the galaxy. Delta Vega. And Spock's parting oh, shot before the before the commercial break is just remember the captain of the Valiant waited too long. God, how annoying would he be to work with? So annoying, God. <laughs> so annoying. Mm-hmm. So Delta Vega, um, we're heading for Delta Vega, which is a lithium cracking station. It's basically an automated mine. There's no one on this planet. There's just a factory. I really like the set and the background. Oh God, it was so pretty. It yes. was very, Good very classic sci-fi. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the mushroom towers. <laughs> it was beautiful, and I loved it. Somewhere, I have it yeah. written down. It's, I, I can't find it right now, but I, I have it written down somewhere. Um... That, that, that first shot of, of Delta Vega from the ground, it's like, it's like the cover of an analog issue. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, exactly so that. beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And it just gives you a sense of where you are. Because yeah. we spend so much time on the ship mm-hmm. putzing around through Purple Rain that yeah. it just give you one of those really good classic sci-fi moments. Because, it, again, and um, Roddenberry took a lot of inspiration from shows like Twilight and The Outer Limits. And this very much does feel like Twilight Zone. Not so much, yeah, very Twilight Zone. What mm-hmm. if someone got special powers and turned into a god? Oh, what yeah. would we do? It's not like a, a space, a classic space story. It's no. more more supernatural. So to have a shot like that really mm-hmm. took me home. So uh, we're approaching Delta Vega, and we're back to Gary, who is being yet more creepy, um, telekinetically getting himself a cup of water. Which is creeping everyone out just as much as you might imagine. Yeah, they should. But why, what if they always do that? Why not start with, like, a spoon or something? Why always water? Because he suddenly thought, Space I'm coffee. thirsty. Maybe, maybe developing godlike powers makes you extra thirsty. That makes perfect sense to me. And um, I mean, he talks I'm thirsty about... all the time, and God knows I don't have any godlike powers. Maybe so you're I'm not drinking waiting, enough water. I'm waiting for them That's to come. True. You just need to throw yourself into an electrical storm. Gary also talks about what it feels like to be slowly developing godlike powers, and he's like, he says it's like a man blind all his life, suddenly able to see the things I could do. I am a god. I'll squash you like insects. Hypospray, hypospray, hypospray. And it's at least Kirk and Spock and Mitchell in sick bay at this moment because Spock is standing on the other side of the room. There's at least one other person in the room at this point. He's got a it's phaser. Probably Danner because he's yeah. wearing a phaser. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he is right. Yeah, and yeah. and because Kirk goes, are you reading all of our thoughts? And Mitchell sort of looks around. And he's like, I mostly sense fear from you, Jim. You're worried. Yeah, at, you're worried, and and Spock's. I don't remember exactly what he reads from Spock, but I do remember I said, I, I'm surprised he can read Spock, but I guess they haven't really developed Spock's, the Vulcan power per- portfolio yet at this point. Um, Anyways, they have us for him and then kick him into a force field on the mm-hmm. planet. Well, wait, 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 we have to make a costume comment here just for a do second. We? Gary Mitchell's shirt is extremely short. It <laughs> really barely brushes the top of his pants. I was, I was all I could stare at was this like, Tiny little practically belly shirt. That That's he right was because wearing. he's back in his uniform. It was the driving of the me scene. bananas. It was very I short. Did not this notice this that is what Kim all. notices. I it's did not notice that at all. I saw the tennis outfit, but I missed his short short. This this is what it Kim was, likes. Yeah, belly. This, this is good to know. <laughs> no, it wasn't so much that I like. I was just like, why is his shirt so short? I did not understand it. Like at least it should come down to the top of his pants. God, to me, no shorts. 
Sorry, that says, really bothered me. That's fair. That's fair. He says, I'd kill me too before, because he starts zapping them, because he's like, oh, you're going to maroon me on the Yeah, planet. he, like, emperors them from Star Wars. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work, because um, they sort of get him in a clinch, and, and Daner, like, hyper sprays him. Good. And they while they're... They throw into the force field. Yeah, and, force and, and uh, Gary Vishal's like, to, to Jim, I took a poison dart for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> different situation. He also Very says... Very different situation. He also says, um... Because Kirk's still asking him, "Are you going to kill us all?" He's like, "I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure yet. I think I should stay on the ship. I'm not sure yet what sort of a world I can use." Yeah. And that's when Jim looks at him, and I think this is the moment where he realizes he's probably going to kill him because he looks at him and he meets his eyes and he says, "Use." Like he he really hadn't believed up until this point that despite get, all evidence, despite all evidence to the contrary, that his friend might be irretrievable. It is very strange because when they get down to the planet and they put him in the force field prison. Mm-hmm. Gary tries to walk through it and is hit with another bolt of electricity, is slammed up against the wall. The mercury goes out of his eyes. He looks up mm-hmm. and says, Jim? Yeah, like he's confused. Like he is confused, which begs the question, is that Gary Mitchell? Or is that something out of the galactic void that is possessing him? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I think it's gary mitchell and advanced gary mitchell is just a jerk he's like it's like being drunk you don't remember what you did kim you've never been drunk <laughs> i think it's a symbiosis do you want do you want to know spoiled by the possibly apocryphal thing i found i thought that it was supposed to be like q space yeah yeah um there's i think it's it's a book i believe from later on is a possibly apocryphal <laughs> thing i feel like i should take a picture of kim's face right that now at some point mm. there's an encounter between two q's and one as a result of this conflict is scattered through the galactic barrier and trapped there okay and that when they encounter the barrier when the valiant encountered the barrier this whoever this q is tries to escape by connecting itself to the first compatible human they find but that doesn't work out so well so it's stuck there again and then tries again and manages to connect itself to daner and mitchell the same entity that is the suggestion in the possibly apocryphal books yes I don't, I don't like that. I don't know how I feel about it. I, don't I feel like, that like at within all. the space of the episode, we're. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I think narratively that might be a little complicated, but if you <laughs> sort of, if you sort of tin hat your way around it to a point where it's like, like that, that sounds like somebody going back and going, okay, how do I explain this thing that yeah. made no sense? In just the context of the episode, it feels like it's Gary Mitchell developing some kind of power that's clouding his regular judgment and like, like plugging up the centers of his brain that have compassion in them that have humanity in them i don't know it's hard to say i the the, the switching on and off thing the makes episode me lean. seems to do both yeah like, like it can't decide thing, either or like it doesn't want it to be clear the moment where he looks up and goes jim and he's so confused and so yeah. hurt and he doesn't understand what's going on and then the the except, silver eyes come up against except him. the second time it happens he is not confused because uh, later on, when, when um, at the the final sort of con- the final battle at the end, where yeah. Daner disables him and his eyes go brown again, he's not confused anymore because he's still fighting Kirk. Like he attacks, Kirk doesn't. Like he's probably would have, but Mitchell gets up and he attacks first. It's very interesting because with Daner, you don't get the sense that something's changed in her. Like yeah, when she talks but not at that as table, far as Mitchell. 
No, like, get. is she fighting something that's trying to take hold of her, or is she developing the powers? Like, we don't see her trajectory. Yeah, no. it feels to me like, I mean, when we see her, when she has her powers, she's, you know, she's relatively calm. She's not freaking out or grandiose, but that's how Mitchell was to start with. He was yeah. just calm, curious about what was going on, learning, mm. and he started turning into a bag of dicks once he started, you know, gaining the knowledge and getting some power. So here's what I think. I think it's like the super soldier serum. Because what we get, well, no, hear me out. This is because what we get of Daner and Mitchell is extraordinary versions of themselves. Mitchell was already very bombastic and arrogant, and he just gets we more saw, so. like two minutes of him, but and he was sexually get, harassing everyone. Yeah, he wasn't. But, she held his hand. Yeah, but that was consensual. Hand that's true. She initiated it. He was hitting on her inappropriately. I feel like yeah. they had a backstory. Yeah, I think so too. But what she has, what what we get of Danner is that she's very controlled. She's very logical. She's very analytical, and she's still quite a bit like that, even when she gets her superpowers. Mm. She and I think the fact that she was already less emotional and less controlled by her like more her her baser emotions than Mitchell was made it easier for her to manage. Mm-hmm. the abilities manage what it was doing to her because becoming less compassionate wasn't really the issue because she was controlling her bad impulses with logic more already than he was. Mm. Anyway, moving on. Is that a phaser rifle in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? It's a yeah, I love that scene because they're standing in um, they're standing in the fuel state the, the, the lithium cracking station whatever where they left um, Mitchell with Dana in like the force field room she's like I'm going to stay here and watch him you go do your thing and Kurt goes back and finds Kelso and I guess another tech or two and he tells Kelso to basically rig the whole place to blow up mm-hmm. um, he tells him to rig like a, a self-destruct button for the entire planet essentially and he gets radioed down from the ship that says, so did you get uh, the phaser rifle I sent? And Kirk goes, I didn't order a phaser rifle. And Spock, and this is very, I thought this was comedic. He sort of appears from off screen holding the phaser rifle. Holding a comedically large Comedically large phaser, phaser rifle. rifle. And Kirk stops in mid-sentence and goes, oh, yeah, we got it. <laughs> so I love that. It is interesting because Eliz- uh, Dana wants to stay. But there's a very creepy part where Gary Mitchell and they're talking to Kirk and Gary Mitchell's like, la-di-da, looking off into the distance. And then poor Kelso is sitting, having a chat with the people. Because they're using, oh, the they're using components from the station to get the yeah. ship back up and running. They pretty much got it going. Except, and then as Gary Mitchell is singing along the big In another room with everybody else. Around and strangles him! Yeah. It was spooky. It was Kelso scary. Was dead. Poor yeah. Kelso is Poor Kelso. Pretty sure he comes back from her Unseen and unlamented. Mm. Poor Kelso. Uh, the act Kelso, Kelso come back? Familiar, but everyone of that, everyone of that era kind of did. Mm. Yeah. And he is super dead. Then we see a lot of zippers, and then Gary Mitchell goes all emperor on him. You should have killed me while yeah, you could, James. He's zapping Kirk and Spock here. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so at a certain point... Forcefield goes down, Forcefield and goes down. he zaps Kirk and Spock zaps out, everyone. and Daner's still standing there. And right before this happens, actually, she... Because um, they're going to leave him, and she's like, I'm staying with him. He's not evil. Oh, honey. And it's the most Shoot emotional people. we see her in this entire episode because mm-hmm. she gets visibly upset. It's the only time we see her get that upset or raise her voice or anything of the kind. And Kirk says, no, we seriously have to go. And that's when Gary says, you should have killed me when you could, James. Blows out the force field, zaps everyone unconscious, except for Daner, because he walks out 
and he reaches out and he gently, gently guides her over to a mirror, and her eyes have gone silver. Great reveal. It was a great reveal. It was very, very well done. Really enjoyed it. They really should have seen that coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, from a million miles Hmm, away. She's suspiciously passed out while meeting the Purple Rain energy as well. Maybe we should keep an eye on her. So Jim sends everyone back, and he says, I'm going to go after them. If you don't hear from me, like, neutron radiation. This was super, super kind of mean of him, because Spock might not technically have emotions, but this would still kind of gut him. Because basically, the doctor gets there, the rescue team gets there, and Kirk says... Okay, don't wake up Spock yet because he wakes Kirk up. The doctor wakes Kirk up first. He mm-hmm. says, don't wake Spock up yet. Give me a head start. I'm taking this giant phaser rifle and I'm going to go after them. You guys get back to the ship. Give me 12 hours. If you don't hear from me, blow everything the fuck up. Which I guess is an okay plan for yeah. the point of blow the planet up. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But the going after him, maybe not so much. On my own vendetta when I'm the captain of a spaceship. Anyways, we go back this to... This is a terrible plan. Yeah, yes, it, it was is. not a good plan on the part of Kirk. And he no. 15 years, though. He does this a lot, though. Is he, he does. makes terrible plans. He makes a contingency where he's willing to sacrifice himself to maybe find the guy who took a poison dart for him. Not a euphemism. The other thing is and that I don't think he believes that blowing up the planet will kill him. That will kill he Kirk? Wants, no, will take care of Mitchell, because I think at this point he's oh, like, I think it would. well, what if it doesn't? He wants he's to see. sending neutron radiation. He's nuking the planet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, so then Dana and Mitchell are having a walk through the planet, and she's like, this planet sucks. There's nothing here. Yeah. And he's like, oh. Makeover. And it is... Weird alien. Still an garden. ugly planet. <laughs> yep. But he's got he he created water, he gave him a living place, there was some plants. Where's the yeah, house? I, I don't like his choice in, in exterior decorating, but it was it was a star. Zero escaping. Where is the Starbucks? Yeah. <laughs> that would have been my question. Also, yeah. her under her response is way too excited for seeing a couple of plants. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you ever been that excited to see a plant? Uh, I don't think I ever have. It was it's not even like a food plant, it's just plants. It looks like a rosemary plant with grapes on it. I may be that excited to see like a really beautiful rose bush that's extremely fragrant. But just one rose bush? <laughs> but just like one rose that's kind of pretty. No. Anyhow, so Gary's like, oh, my Kirk Dar is, com- is going off. <laughs> Kirk Dar? Kirk Dar. <laughs> so here is my big query Gary Mitchell, established psychic, able to see the future. How do you think you're going to sneak up on him? Well, he does say. Kirk is a very foolish man, and I wrote, agree. <laughs> also, I wrote, future apples are weird and look like butts. Oh, but they're deeply symbolic. They're special They're apples. apples in the garden mm. that I made oh, you. Gosh. It's a garden of apples. Eden metaphor. It's a metaphor. It's however, a metaphor. However, they look like butts. They look kind of slimy, too. Yeah. Speaking of butts. They're alien apples. Kirk is, like, shimmying <laughs> on rocks. Kirk. His sneaking, however, has improved. There's no hilarious rolling and no, like, implied kazoo sounds. Well, no, he does not announce his arrival with a kazoo, but he does, like, shimmy his way up a rock. Yeah. But they, with his paint gun, Our two like uh, supervillains are standing there, like, basically listening, Gons. watching Gons. him come. He's like, yeah, he's coming. Yeah, he's no-. He's like, no, I want... And he sends her to meet him. He's like, I want you to see just how unimportant they are. Yeah, Gary, good job. Definitely not sounding evil there. Earth is unimportant, but what is a god without wisdom? A god needs compassion, etc., 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 etc. Philosophical discussion? Anyone have any notes for that? Because I just went, meh. Well, mm. there is an interest, because Kirk at this point is still trying to sort of talk her down, because he 
somehow senses that she's like less evil advanced than he is. But the interesting point about that, which I really liked, is that he appeals her as a professional. Yeah. You are a psychiatrist, yeah. not a woman. Really yeah. appreciated that. And he says that two or three times, like think like think like a scientist, think like yeah. a psychiatrist. Yep. He used to be this. He appeals to her as a professional yeah. rather than trying to like, oh, your humanity. As an explorer. As, no, you as, are a professional yeah. psychiatrist, a trained scientist. Think about think this. Think about this. How does the human, like, look at this in terms of, like, the human mind. Like, how would you diagnose yourself? How would you diagnose him? And then chest fireworks! Yeah, he does a very dramatic role. Uh, <laughs> which I wrote in all caps underlined one. three times. Just role. one role. Um, well, it's like his intro role where he sort of very rolls so into sight. Gary and Kirk are getting into a strangely physical battle when yeah. Kirk is trying to battle a well, psychic Kirk person. tries to shoot him and it does then nothing. Then chest fireworks. Yeah, and uh, Gary sort of, I wrote, t- telekinetically rips the gun out of his hands and he sort of, <laughs> Then he looks at these rocks. This is the most bizarre part of the episode. Gary looks at these rocks. Meditatively? This really? No, no, no. Like, also, these rocks. This music plays. Wow, so paper mache. Oh, so. It like crinkled paper. It's it, it is crinkled paper. Once when Kirk rests his hands on a little bit of his waiter, it, it actually sinks. <laughs> yeah. I missed that. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, Gary looks at these rocks. There's this very dramatic music that plays. We go back to Kirk. Kirk also looks at the rocks. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a very. It's a very. Pause. Yeah. See, this, this is. This is my problem with 1960s television. They had a lot of time to fill up, so they just put in extra shots instead of more story or interesting stuff. I disagree. Yeah, strongly disagree. I loved it. Seriously disagree. So then they all look at the rocks together, and then Gary's like, oh yeah, fuck God powers. (laughs) And he rips the rocks off and tries to... Tries to crush Kirk. Tries to crush them. And we has this funny little not God. He has this funny little banter with Danner too, where he's like, "Oh, I was distracted. I was contemplating the death of an old friend." <laughs> and We're then to this whole sort of this whole little bit is basically him like, "I can just drop a mountain on you. I don't need to fight you." And it's sort of like, but "Yeah, it's Kirk, fun. you're insignificant." And then he does this hilariously dramatic thing. You like what you see? You like what you see? Pray to me, beauty human! And then he makes Kirk a grave. <laughs> yeah. First, I we, actually thought this was amazing. Yeah, I thought this was amazing villain dialogue. Uh, 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 James the, R. There's, yeah, oh, I didn't it was actually, an error. It was, it it was, was an, an error, although there is um, a cover for it later where apparently Kirk once gives his middle name jokingly as Racquetball. <laughs> but yes, it was an error. Yeah. Um, Kirk... I thought these were amazing villain lines, actually. Kirk is forced into a praying position yep. to pray with to Gary Mitchell. With his evil telekinesis. With his evil kinesis. And this is when Daner starts to fight him. No, wait, wait, wait. One more time. You like what you see? I think you guys can all picture Kareen's posture when she says that line pretty accurately. The answer to that question is yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so Daner sort of power electrocutes him. Um, and wait, wait. Kirk or Gary? Dana, Gary, Gary, Dara, okay. Dana, and they Gary get into like an emperor. Right, right, right. Okay, yes, of course they do. Because she apparently chooses the human side at last through murder. Because yeah. murder. Yeah. So they electrocute each other for a second, and then uh, his eyes go brown again. And what we've learned thus far is that when his the silver goes away, he loses his powers temporarily. 
Yeah, so he's exhausted, so then they do a lot of manly wrestling. And then I wrote, there goes the shirt. Happy yes, yes, yes. Kirk's shirt's gone! Woo! First one, obligatory shirt, Terry. One shirt tragically lost in battle. In the course of, in the How? performance of its duties. In the, <laughs> I didn't even notice it getting ribbed. I just looked up just and I was like, oh, his shirt's half off. It happened. I was really curious as to how, how do you rip the lure? Carefully. I don't think it's an exacto knife. <laughs> I tried to strategically. Rip it. I had a shirt like that when I I was a kid. I hated it. I'm like, I want to rip this off my body. Tried, failed. Wow. <laughs> you think that Gary Mitchell's hands are stronger than the hands well, he of is a god? Old? He is a god. You, were you a god when you were eight? Because I don't think so. I couldn't say because one of you would probably like off me or maroon me on an island to save me from Only myself. Only if you started referring to us as ants. I do that every Tuesday. Um, so they have a fight for a little while, and uh, and then before Rocks fall, Gary Mitchell dies. dies. Yeah, but well, basically, because because um, Kirk's fighting him, and the, the strategy here is Daner makes his powers go away temporarily so that Kirk can kill him, and he's just about to do that with Big Rock, uh, and then he hesitates, and that's when Gary's powers come back because of course he hesitates, um, and then Mitchell sort of throws him across the clearing with his powers. And Kirk picks up the phaser rifle again and, and shoots the cliff. And then, you ready for okay, my go. sound effect? Go. Boom! Giant rock. Rocks fall. Everyone dies. Okay, but here is my question. Well, I wrote, a phaser on kill wouldn't do for him, but a giant rock will do it. It was a huge rock. Okay, but he yeah, was but... in the grave. It didn't kill him. He's no. just trapped in the grave. Oh, yeah, they both get thrown into the grave during this fight, and Kirk scrambles out and symbolic. the phaser. Yep. But... He's not dead. That would not kill a person. He was in the grave. The rock didn't hit him. Well, I guess it could make the earth subside. I mean, it's arguable. But my thing is, if he's an indestructible, all-powerful god, I cannot believe that getting squashed with a rock would do it. He died before. Maybe he suffocated in there. He doesn't need air. He's a god. He made a forest. I think if he picked up that rock, he'd be fine. I think he would. I don't think he's dead. I don't think so. I think he's going to come back in later episodes. I know that he doesn't come back in later episodes. (laughs) Yeah. But it doesn't make any sense. Like I, it's a cop out, for lack of a better word, because it makes it so that Kirk did not directly kill him. Well, sure, yeah. that he was just indirectly Kirk, squashed. But he is Kirk's a good guy. Kirk can't yeah. kill people. I mean, you could still argue that Kirk, Kirk is resp- born. responsible for his death. Oh, he, but, yeah, yeah. But you're right. He doesn't actually physically do the killing. Yeah, he, does, for the he most does part, not murder him. For the yeah. most the part, do. Starfleet. Uh, Specific, particularly Kirk, are uh, ruled by superhero like superhero rules. Like Captain America can't kill people. James Kirk very rarely like straight up murders people. He killed the Gorn. He wrestled it to death. He did wrestle it to death with his man foo. Yeah, but by and large, like usually it's like they they fall off a cliff, they blow up a space station. They yeah, they don't usually like whatever. knife or shank no, someone. Basically, but they do get happen. covered in some fake ass blood. Yeah. That was that does happen. And yeah. okay, was it was it just me? But when he's like stripped shirt, mm-hmm. ca- smeared and ketchup, artistically bloody, artistically face. bloody, and he looks down at the body of Daner because she like burned herself. Like Gary burnt, killed yeah. her. They burnt each other. This out, is not whatever. gonna go where you think it's going. Mm-hmm. But like, should he not have just shot her a couple times just to make sure? sure. <laughs> well, well, I probably would have. At that point. I don't know. I like this part because what I, I really like that he got right down next to her mm-hmm. to be with her while she was yeah. dying. Like, she yeah. was sitting there yeah. and she's dying and he didn't let her die alone. 
he got down and was with her and I really really liked that it was a good Kirk moment it did not make up for his terrible plan of going in alone mm-hmm. but it was still mm-hmm. a great good thing for Kirk to do I liked it um, and then at that point he pulls out his communicator and what a good thing his communicator wasn't lost or damaged in the fight with the god I'm just saying if it was me if I'm going in to like fight indestructible gods I'm gonna like take that out of my pocket and put it on a rock back he's at the psychic. entrance or something he's psychic I don't think we like he's psychic what he does would he just care crush about it with his mind what does he care about a communicator I don't know maybe but like like just sort of as a backup plan maybe he wants to make maybe, sure that maybe. you're marooned on this planet that they're eventually going to radiate hmm but that would just be my evil overlord talking yeah. not him so we go back to the ship and Kirk is making an official oh this is a bandage like, on his hand Yes, he, he was actually that. hurt by a thing. Yeah. Well, we don't have dermal damage yet, I guess. But there is a... I, I thought this was quite really touching. affecting, yeah. where he's entering, you know, the official log that... We've lost these Gary things. Mitchell and Dr. Elizabeth... Um, Daner. Daner were killed in the line of duty. That, you know, they performed their duties to the end. Mm-hmm. Not mentioning the fact that they went all... God crazy. They were well, basically the implication. They fell under the like, God spell. Yeah. Ah, oh my god. Amazing musical reference. Thank you so much. The implication being that they didn't ask that happen to them. No, and they they get the notation that they served bravely. And Spock says, "Yeah, I feel for it. I felt for him too. I felt for him too." Well, I mean, that's totally fine. I like that. Yeah, I liked um, it too because you got. I really liked it. I mean, this is the whole thing. Is Vulcans are not they don't it's not that they don't have emotions it's that they suppress them mm. so they they have them they feel things they just do not express them and they don't this process is a, this them is the a, same way yeah and this is just a moment of spock taking his human half and saying and it's very i felt for them. because he doesn't say it like to the bridge at large or in response to the log he says it to kirk it's yeah. a very it's a private moment where he's sort of like yeah it's sad and i'm sad at least partly in the way that you're sad yeah, I thought mm-hmm. that was really, really And Kirk says, I believe there's hope for you after all. And credits! Yeah. Um, which are background <laughs> pictures from the Menagerie, no, Menagerie, the cage. A bunch and, of episodes. Yeah, I'm going to get that really messed up. Yeah. Which people who must have been watching that in the 60s going, what the actual hell is going well, on? If you've watched the, the credits for the like the previous two episodes we watched as well. Is it the same thing? It's the same thing. There's, there's stuff from the cage, there's stuff from future episodes, episodes that haven't aired yet. That was a 60s thing, though. There's, um, like, I Dream of Jeannie and Gilligan's Island and other shows. It was a thing that they did in an credits. Can you imagine watching it for the first time and getting, like, those teasers of the yeah, world to that come? Would, yeah. yeah. That would, that would be, be very be, like, cool. parsing them for the rest of the week, going, oh, I thought I saw a green lady. Green lady, don't be ridiculous. Yeah. It was a green lady. Mm-hmm. So, you like what you see? Kim, what do you think? Um, It was okay. It was my favorite one that we've watched so far in this rewatch. Even better than The Man Trap. <laughs> oh my god, so much better than The Man Trap. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was good. I liked it. I will never understand. Does it feel like an episode of Star Trek? I love this episode. I know you do. I love it so much. We pause you in our regular moderated conversation. How much did you like this episode, Ari? So much. So much. Yes, so much. So much. Um, I, I can't disagree. I love this episode, too. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I think, think it's, it is. It's creepy. Yeah. Oh, God. This episode scared the bejesus out of me as a child. Oh, yeah. The actual bejesus. Like, oh, my God. So scary. No, was it frightening because it could happen to you? Like, you could become Gary Mitchell. You could get all these godlike powers. Or were you afraid of Gary Mitchell? It wasn't Gary Mitchell specifically, although he was very scary. It was the idea of human beings not acting like human beings, I think. 
Because the scary thing about Gary Mitchell isn't that he has powers. Like, I had no problem with people with superpowers. I absolutely wanted superpowers as a kid. But it was the idea of people who were still clearly human being, but human beings, but not, I don't want to say held in check, but like without the things that make human beings redeemable. Mm. Because he very explicitly, more than once in this episode, said that he has moved beyond yeah. compassion and, and, and selflessness and affection and things that make us bugs. Um, and just became this thing that didn't care about anything except having power and... What is his endgame? I don't know. That's never really clear, I, I think. I don't think he it's, knows either. There's no... He just sort of, I am more than you. and But there's no real... What are you, okay, great. What are you going to do with that? Are you Apparently, he creates it? Eden. You're going to rule yeah. tiny Eden. <laughs> yeah, a tiny, tiny bonsai tiny, garden of yeah. Eden. Budget Eden. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Can't even afford real rocks, man. But like, does he want the ship? Does he want to take the ship? Well, he does he want to kill everyone? Because I feel like asks him that the, more than once. The, it's like, does he want to kill everyone plan? on the ship? Yeah. Well, and he says, I don't know. I I want to see more fair. because he. I don't think he knows because Kirk does ask him that a couple of times and he basically says I don't know yet because he says I don't know what kind of a planet I can use I need to see more I need to learn more and I don't think he has really got an end game beyond I need to see what's out there which is an impulse you would think that they would understand except it's not tempered by because it's awesome it but more um what can I do with it what can I do with it and also accompanied with the ultra creepy thing of I am so far beyond you that I have nothing in common with other human beings anymore. That's yeah. the thing where he's like, I'm beyond you. You're like ants to me, which was very frightening because, well, what's the point of doing all of this if it doesn't enrich you in some way? And I don't think that that's what he's going for. It, he, he, he's, it's not that he wants to kill them. It's that he doesn't care if he kills them because they mean nothing to him anymore. But he doesn't want to use them necessarily. Like at no point does he try to control any he of them. Yeah, he didn't really well, he, seem- yeah. experiments with controlling the ship yeah but he didn't try and be like okay great now who's gonna follow me and join my cult and wear this robe that never seemed to no. be no part of his fittings. no and when no. even when he's making all those worship jokes with kirk he's he's joking yeah he's joking because it's it's does he think he's a god though well, like, I'm I, very, I, I, I'm, yeah, that's the thing is like is he does he feel he is a god now or does he feel he has just moved beyond humanity as it's as it exists now i think mm-hmm. it's mostly the second one and i also think that all the god talk and the 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 little eden is because he's beyond regular <laughs> little eden just west of little italy <laughs> i think i think it's because he has no context for what he's experiencing beyond like outside of these relatively tiny scale examples of what being more than a human means so he has to sort of fall back on gods and and eden and and human beings being ants because he doesn't actually have any frame of reference for that because are there are there species in original trek that have the ability to move things with their minds yeah yeah are there an original track yeah original track not not any of I think not any of the, like the traditional aliens because so it's like traditional because it, I only see Tremaine and the, yeah, the like, actual I mean, gods I, I feel like but, original series does the whole I have superpowers that humans will never understand type of deal a lot more than the other shows. Yeah. And that's always the point of of exploring the limits of like human reason and compassion yeah. and mm, it's because... always because the person with the godlike powers is the other. Yeah. And, and you're comparing them directly. So I don't I don't They're know. an analog. 
this the idea of alien in in Star Trek was always very different from other sci-fi in that the point of of encountering aliens and talking about aliens was to go yeah they're different species but in all of these important ways we are similar to them so when they were doing things that were quote alien unquote they were doing things that were analogs for things that human beings do and human beings understand and human beings care about and when they weren't those were mostly episodes that were logic puzzles so then gary mitchell is essentially just an absolute ruler who's able to control but he's only able to control his surroundings he isn't able to control people so far but I he guess. keeps getting more powerful, and that's sad too. Is that he's just going to keep getting more powerful, and that he says that to Kirk at yeah. least once, quite late in the episode. He's like, "You know, I'm just going to keep getting stronger." Hmm. And I don't, I, like, I don't, I don't think that he knew where he was going with it beyond the fact that he wanted to get stronger, he wanted to see more, he wanted to grow. Yeah, and he didn't really care what happened to anybody else anymore. Sure. For Kim, mm-hmm. do you think we should feel sympathy for Mitchell and Dana? Um. For Dana, yes, because she doesn't go... I feel... I don't know. Um, I think it depends on your view of whether or not they are a person who has taken the power that they've been given and lost their mind, or if they are a person who has been imposed upon by the power. Mm. And I think if you feel they've been imposed upon, then yes, you need to feel bad for the humans underneath. If you think they are humans who are experiencing the extra power, etc., you need to look at their responses to that. And with Gary Mitchell, it's to become a, like, dictatorial douchebag. Whereas with Elizabeth Janer, it's to... She she gets more power, but she is not cruel about it. And she's not attempting to just be like, you are lesser than me. She's like, can't we just all get along? But again, she's, so, at, the, she's at the beginning of her powers. That is true. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, like, I don't know if I feel bad for them or if I feel, like, compassion for their situation. I just don't know because I feel like what they are isn't clear enough to me. Mm-hmm. I do. I do because I think it's a mistake to think of it as... I definitely think it's it's a case of... It's, it's more comparable to somebody on a really powerful behavior-altering drug than anything else because it, it gives them abilities that they don't otherwise have, but it also alters the way their brains work. And it does say quite explicitly near the beginning of the episode that their brains are changing. And we don't know what that means for behavior. I mean, even now we we change criminal justice law based on what your mental state is and what how your brain might be damaged or not. And I think you kind of have to look at this as someone who did terrible things under the influence of a brain injury or a toxic drug or whatever. It's like they're still people and they're still human beings and their brains might be altered now to the point where they are demonstrably not the same people that they were before but the same is true of someone who's been through a traumatic experience Hmm. so did kirk commit genocide (laughs) (laughs) these are the two people of what i would argue is a new species of human i wonder what the definition of a species is i mean it can be definitely could be argued but i think Hmm. you could also argue the other way yeah at what point would you have intervened Oh my god. Um, intervened in terms of like. Intervened trying... as in took care I of think Gary I Mitchell. would have stopped before we crossed the galactic barrier and listened <laughs> to the goddamn tape. I think that is the, the big problem with this, and one of my huge problems with Kirk is that he doesn't goddamn think ahead. He just barrels forward without 
thinking about the consequences, and that it's his is job, where I think. Though. No, it's not his job. His job is to, to explore. Yeah, a lot necessities <sighs> if you take that out of the puzzle yeah. that they had to go through the Galactic Empire, that and I feel mission. like had to tighten up the writing a little bit, other yeah. than spending fifteen minutes Spock listening to a tape and then telling us what he's hearing. Yeah, but at what point? Do you do you feel because I know you never agree with Kirk's decision? Never. At what point would you have done something with Gary Mitchell? I think it would have been as soon as you figured what figured like try to figure out what was happening to him. If you noticed something's going wrong, start asking him about. I don't know. I just feel like he didn't get in enough depth. They really went from he's getting powers and it's kind of creepy to like, man, eh, we gotta murder him. <laughs> there was no in between. There was no asking of Gary Mitchell. Like, I feel like there was no like, what do you feel about this? How is this changing you? Yes, like, I don't know. Times. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. All right. I don't know at what point I would have intervened. I, I think I think this is another situation where it's like I totally understand exactly everything Kurt does in this episode. I mean, apart from going through the Galactic Barrier, but you know, let's And gonna, shimmying up a rock. I'm gonna hand wave that away in, in, in the in favor of plot concerns. But as a captain, I think ultimately he did what he could do, um, sending the ship away, but it's tough because we have the trope understanding that when you go through yeah. the big scary purple rain cloud, mm-hmm. you're going to come out Some and shit's stuff, happen. Stuff, stuff is going to happen. And essentially, when someone starts exhibiting powers and their brains are getting bigger, you have to shoot them or they turn into Bradley Cooper. I do think there were a couple of points between getting pink electrocuted and, you know, dropping a rock on the guy uh, that Kurt could have Arguably, stopped. gravity killed him. I mean, yeah, that's true. Um, but, like basically both times where Spock was like he's too dangerous we have to do something where the, where other avenues could have been explored like sedate the shit out of that guy do we have stasis yet I have no idea they have hypospray yeah but like on the other hand we know that you know there was no way to stop him he would have kept getting more powerful you couldn't contain him sedation wouldn't have held him for very long you couldn't really ruin him because his powers would just keep growing exponentially because they didn't know, as we know, because we have seen science fiction before, that the Valiant was destroyed by someone who had so much power that the captain took it upon himself to destroy everyone yeah. before he could get released to the greater public. Yeah. They don't know that. They know that the ship was destroyed mm-hmm. and that the captain had been looking up ESP. Yeah. That's all. And they infer that later, but they don't know it beforehand. So they don't necessarily know that Gary Mitchell is going to be a it logically follows, and when Spock points it out at the Galactic Space Staff meeting, mm-hmm. that the ship is a toy to him. Sense, but they don't know. No, they don't. And the other thing is that they're explorers. He's a new. He Not might be. He might be a new species. He's doing all these things. They're scientists. It's Hence the fact of why they committed genocide. Yeah, and and you know, for the second time. In a series. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because they killed off the salt monster. Oh, poor salt monster. And I'd argue maybe Charlie... Well, no, they didn't kill Charlie X. He no, just... they just sent him back to his adopted so people. two of the three episodes have ended in genocide. So, best performance of the episode. Ooh. Um, I think the guy who played Gary Mitchell. Gary he was great. Yeah, he was really good. Yeah, I enjoyed his performance. I liked the... I don't know. I, I mean, I liked this episode overall, so I liked him because he was kind of anchoring the whole thing. Yeah. Sally Kellerman. Sally Kellerman. So she played Dr. Elizabeth Den- Daner. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim's Kim's going to say that uh, she was rock, but I think that she did a really, really subtle performance in her progression between, you know, regular human and, like, 
godlike but hesitant superpowered individual and i thought that like i thought that she behaved in a very human and you know non-dramatic reaction sort of way to everything. I think if I'd never seen science fiction before, I would have been shocked by the reveal that she has mercury eyes. Oh, I wasn't. That's because I... you've seen sci-fi before. No, I wasn't even as a kid. No, you'd be shocked. Because I could make the obvious connection that, well, they both got zapped. She can't be completely unaffected because everyone else who got zapped died. Shocked. I'm gonna give it to William Shatner. <laughs> Is that the second in a row? Did I? I think you did no, at least, at least I one did. of the other I would never. You did at least one of the other episodes. Yeah, for sure. <sighs> what do you like about Shatner this week? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He is incredibly likable. Oh, yeah. When you watch him mm-hmm. in the beginning, he has such rapport with Spock. Yeah, he likes everybody. He does. He's so interesting with Gary Mitchell. The conversations that he has with him, like, pre- and post-Purple Rain... Like, you really get, you, you feel sympathy for him. You, he is carrying, essentially, the big question of the episode the entire time. And Gary Lockwood does do a great performance. Mm-hmm. Really good, very creepy, definitely helped by the context mm-hmm. and his weird peering oh, down at people. so great. Really good. Now that I know that that was not an affectation for the character, but rather practically so he could look at things... I took the performance of the episode away from him. Oh, I did. And Sally Kellerman was very good, but did not have as much to work with. And I thought Chatner made incredibly sympathetic. Yeah. The decisions that he was weighing, you could see it all over his pretty young face. He's always very relatable. He is. Always, always. And being a lead character who is sympathetic and watchable at the same time, because often mm-hmm. they're essentially cardboard planks. And you're not as interested in what's going on in their head because you know them, you always know this character, you kind of know what they're going to do, but I thought it was was interesting to watch him. Not just because he lost his shirt. Although that probably didn't hurt. Hurt his shirt. (laughs) Hurt his shirt. The shirt shirt suffered. So, uh, life lessons that we take away from this, other than obviously a vow that should any of us hook any of us up with the girlfriend that we procured to distract us from that is someone else don't do that don't don't do it whatever that is the life lesson that i'm taking away from this episode of star trek is that when spock is talking and reading off what happened to the previous people who are in the current situation that you find yourself in wait for him to finish before barreling ahead (laughs) so yeah Learn from the past, Jim. Learn from the past. As interpreted by Spock specifically. Mm. Ari, what's your life lesson? I think this one is a straight up absolute power. Corrupts absolutely. Uh, My life lesson is wrestle manfully until you lose your shirt. Because that's important. Apparently it gives you the moral high ground. Well, actually... This bare-knuckle fight between Kirk and Mitchell is the only reason that NBC bought the show. Oh, really? Oh, right, because it wasn't in the original script. Roddenberry actually insisted on it. Yeah. And so NBC was like, oh, space boringness driver. Bare-knuckled man fight! Sold! Yeah. And that is the only reason that we have Star Trek. That is amazing. Is that why we get so much fighting Kirk and where he loses his shirt? Is yeah. to ensure that they keep going? <laughs> Both the network and the censors apparently really liked that. It distracted from all the socialism and feminism. <laughs> Ladies in pants, too. Madness. 
There we go. So that is the episode where no man, and unfortunately it is just man, isn't it? Yeah. Man, powerful ladies. No man has gone before. So thank you for joining us. This has been the Not So Much Neutral Zone. Have a lovely morning slash afternoon slash evening slash night slash wee hours of the morning. Delete as applicable. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next time when we get to talk about one of the best episodes of all time. And we're all excited for so it. Which one? The Naked, naked time. time! Naked. See you naked, next naked. time.